Ah, nice. yes. Long time no see. You are a dream for me. Hi everybody and welcome back to Love Takes on the EU, a podcast from the Left in European Parliament. I'm Gloria and together with my colleague Riccardo, I work as a campaigner for the Left. If you haven't found a reason for the absurd electricity bills of the past month, or if you just can wrap your head around the increasing cost of living in Europe, this episode is for you. If you're not one of these people, well, I advise you to stay tuned because the fight for the right to energy concerns you too. And that is exactly what we are going to talk about in this episode, the energy crisis and the left campaign for a just and sustainable energy model, power to the people. We are lucky enough to have great guests with us today. To kick us off, we have from Engineers Without Border, a member of the platform Alianza Contra la Pobreza Energetica. Joseph joined us directly from Barcelona and telling us how local communities are mobilizing to ensure the right to energy. The Alliance Against Energy Poverty is a social movement which was born in 2014. In its beginnings, it was just some kind of movement based on denounce. But then we started to receive like particular cases, people contacting us, asking about their situations. And we started a new era in the, in the movement based on collective assessments, which are open assemblies, which take place every two weeks. Anyone can go there and ask about some kind of problems with energy or with water. And the thing is that the people who are there, it is a mix between political activists, if you can say so, and then also people and families who are affected by energy poverty. When they arrive there, they could solve their problems and they have stayed there in order to help other people with their cases. There are like different kind of profiles of the people who come to our assemblies because more and more the prices are very high and there are more families who are incapable of paying their, their bills. So we started to, to notice lots of old people, mostly women who live alone and who cannot afford their, their bills. We have denounced the situation in Barcelona, in Catalonia and in Spain, but some of the changes must come from Brussels. And the first big change in our opinion is just starting to, to consider energy and its access a right and not just a commodity. We started from a local experience because we believe that there is nothing more concrete than the fights being carried out in the streets of our cities and towns. Now, let's zoom out and listen to my colleague Sonia telling us what the European Union is doing to tackle energy poverty and rising prices. Spoiler, not enough. But don't skip ahead the next two minutes. That will give you good reasons to rise up and join our fight. Since the European Union project was founded, energy policies have played an important role. In the late 1980s, governments did push to privatize the energy sector within Europe. Privatization was driven by the blind faith in market competition between companies. Strong competition would lead to greater efficiency and lower prices for consumers. That was their reason to abolish public energy supply. They were wrong. Very wrong. According to the Right to Energy Coalition, one in four households in the European Union, over 50 million people, cannot afford to adequately heat, cool or light their homes. This shocking figure is bound to rise, given the soaring energy prices we have seen since the autumn. 
While people in Europe struggle to make ends meet, big energy companies have hit the jackpot. For example, Europe's largest energy company, Shell, recently doubled its profits to the tune of billions. How is this possible? It is the structure of the market. Let's have a look at it. In the current electricity pricing system, all electricity producers, from fossil fuels to wind and solar, bid into the market and offer energy according to their production cost. The bidding starts from the cheapest resources and finishes with the most expensive one. Usually gas is the most expensive resource and renewable energies are the cheapest. Since most countries still rely on fossil fuels to meet all their power demands, the final price of electricity is often set by the price of coal or gas. When gas becomes more expensive, electricity bills go up as well, even if clean and cheaper sources are available and in the mix. To tackle rising energy prices, the left has been campaigning for a radical reform of the market in order to build an energy model that is fair, based on renewables and under public control. There are things that can be done immediately to protect the most vulnerable, but it needs the political will to do so. For example, price caps, a tax on windfall profits, a ban on disconnections. But we also need to return to treating energy for what it is. A right and not a commodity. The EU has so far come up with weak proposals that fail to tackle the crisis. Only recently, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen acknowledged the real problem, saying, quote, The energy market is not working and we have to reform it. To do this, however, the fossil fuel industry can no longer be at the table. Research reveals that the European Commission has met with big polluters almost every working day since 2019, seeking advice on how to tackle Europe's energy crisis. Pretty shocking, right? But we don't just want to give you reasons to be enraged, we also want to give you reasons to believe that, together, we can do something to change the system. It is my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, who have just joined me in the studio, Marisa Matias, MEP from the left, and one of the spokespersons of our campaign, and Chloe Nicolai-Jacques from the Fossil Free Politics campaign. Marisa, Chloe, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Chloe, so what's your first reaction to what we just listened to? Uh, I'm at rage. <laughs> um, I think this issue of corporate capturing the fossil fuel industry on Europe's energy and climate policy is one of the cornerstone. You know, it's going to be very difficult to achieve the ambition that we need if we still let the fossil fuel industry have so much influence on our decision making. I think a super recent example of this is how um, the fossil fuel industry really shaped EU's response to the Ukrainian war and the climate crisis. They've been pushing a bunch of arguments related to energy security, for instance, to really push forward the agenda. And we see it in the result, which is the Repower EU, so the EU strategy to get off fossil gas. And it's absolutely outrageous because it includes um, a lot of money for the fossil gas industry, you know, 10 billion, um, 30 new projects to diversify. Um, and also what we're seeing is a task force that will be made of only industry, so only fossil fuel um, industry, to advise the European Commission on what measures are feasible, where to get the gas from, and new infrastructure projects. So this is a very concrete example of how the fossil fuel industry is really swaying um, EU's energy policy. And it's, it's really a nightmare and we need to address this if we want to secure ambitious uh, climate policy. 
the thing is that uh, it's not a matter of opinion, it's a matter of fact. Mm. Uh, the fossil fuel companies have hijacked the European energy policy. Still today, while we are talking, we are providing public subsidies and public money to the fossil fuel companies. And uh, if there was doubt, the proposal of the European Commission is, is, as Chloe just said, is completely devoted to their interests and what the outcome of the European Parliament is in the same line, unfortunately. So at some point, I think we were naive enough to, to think that the European Parliament would break this trend and bring some extra demands in order to get rid of it. But at the end, unfortunately, they also managed to shape the majority within the European Parliament. It became more visible with the invasion of Ukraine uh, because of the urgency in getting rid of Russian dependency which I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but uh, then there are other things that we should be doing as well and using this as an opportunity to totally change the EU energy policy, to really focus on the renewables, on public control, because we need it. We cannot be under control of these fossil fuel companies, as we have seen. So I think that this became more visible now because we are doing things in a faster way mm. and with an urgent dimension that we didn't have before. That we should have before, but we didn't have any urgent dimension in terms of energy policy. So I think it's more visible now because of that. Uh, but I think honestly that it was always, always there. Yeah, if I, if I may bounce back on this, it's definitely it's been happening for a very long time. Um, and the thing is, we haven't really acted and taken the right measures. So we're late. We keep hearing, you know, we only have three years, we only have three years. We don't only have three years. We're 30 years late on climate and energy policy. And that has given sort of the industry a really good argument in these times of crisis to say, we have the solutions, we have the solutions, consult us. You know, we have the pipelines, we know where to get gas from um, in a very fast way, as you were saying. And so this is extremely, extremely problematic. And as you were saying, it would be naive to think that these companies who are making historic profits at the moment, we're talking about billions, you know, Total made the highest profit in uh, the history of French company. It would be very naive to believe that these companies are actually interested in the energy transition and pushing for solutions that will reduce the profits that they're making. That doesn't make any sense. This European Commission, which claims everywhere, you know, that the Green Deal is his priority, that climate action is his priority, actually met with the fossil fuel industry or its representative 500 times since the beginning of its mandate. And as you were saying, that's about one meeting every working day. And I think Repower is an extremely good example. You know, the Commission went, it says in the Repower communication, went to um, the fossil gas transport industry to ask them for advice on where um, new infrastructure was needed versus they didn't go to the civil society at all for this process. So it really shows where the priority of the industry lies. And meetings are just one of the indicators. There's plenty of other stuff. You know, there's the revolving doors, which is also a really good indicator. The fact that the commission and some MEPs still continue to share platforms with the fossil fuel industry. And all of this is what we're calling out in the campaign. Yeah, Marisa, so um, we've seen that the response by the EU Commission and the Council has been, well, to say the least, very, very weak. Uh, what do you think it's needed to actually change this energy model to achieve energy independence, to um, put a stop on the gas price increase? What would be the most urgent things to do in your opinion? 
at institutional level, I think that uh, ending the revolving doors, as Chloe was saying, is a, a crucial movement, as well as cutting the links with a lot of uh, uh, companies which work as advisors for the European Commission, like BlackRock. You remember that we had all this scandal with BlackRock because they were used and they are still used as a consultant for climate change policy and things like that. So there are formal links that I think, well, of course, they need not they cannot uh, continue to exist. We cannot work on this basis unless we change the profoundly the system in terms of uh, uh, democratization, in terms of uh, the public control, in terms of the putting the center and the emphasis on renewable energy. So, I mean, there's an entire task to be done which involves much more than these small changes, which would help uh, a lot. Yeah, because in the short term, there are some things that seem revolutionary now, such as the price cap, the, wind, the windfall tax profit, the ban on disconnection. Yeah, and all, they all seem... the things that we were referring already in the beginning of this podcast. The things, there are some things which are changing, but they are not enough, of course. Yeah, and, and also the thing is that they are not there. The only reason because they are not there is because fossil, fossil fuel companies are controlling the policies because there is no reason. And yeah. it seems that the Commission is trying to keep justifying mm -hmm. the work. Uh, yeah. yeah, but even controlling the, even the price caps and all these things, I mean, uh, if we do these small things, but they can continue to influence the policies every day, that's why I put the emphasis on stopping revolving doors, not having the advisory rule of these companies or similar to them. Because uh, if we have these small things, but they continue to influence, it will be a nightmare. But at the same time, as I said, I think that these are just small steps, but we need the, the, yeah. to really change the system. Yeah, so now I have a tricky question for both of you, and it's if this system can actually change, and why should people believe that it's possible to change the system and then take action? Uh, I mean, I think it, it can change. It, it's difficult, for sure, but I think we can look back to what happened with the tobacco industry and the World Health Organization in sort of the 90s, you know, when the tobacco industry was lobbying like crazy against measures that would, you know, affect the business model. Um, and eventually we have a framework now, which is sort of a best practice that we could lean on when it comes to the fossil fuel industry, um, that sort of banned the tobacco industry and its representative from the decision-making process. And we can and we must do something like this for climate uh, um, decision-making. We need sort of to protect climate decision-making from the influence of the fossil fuel industry because it's more than just about climate. It is, of course, about climate, but it's also about democracy. It's who are we turning to when to solve a crisis. And the problem is currently we are turning to the very people and the very industry that created this crisis. And we're throwing more money at them. We're throwing billions of taxpayers' money at the industry that caused this crisis. So it's it's a legitimacy issue, it's a democratic issue, it's a, it's a climate and social justice issue, um, but it can change. And it's about really empowering citizens to take action and to mobilize against the fossil fuel industry and in favor of a different system. And of course, it's not easy, and it's also not easy, especially at European level, because it's extremely complex, it's very opaque. Um, but it's also up to us, I think, and when I say us, I mean civil society, but also decision makers, to give the tools to people to mobilize um, and really push for change. Because it's not going to change unless the public demands a change. And it's very cozy at the moment for, for the fossil fuel industry. You know, Romania 
remaining in the status quo, having the ears of the commission and some MEPs. Um, so this is why we're working on this as the fossil free politics campaign. Um, and this is why we'll have a campaign um, in the next full, in the next month, sorry, to really embark citizens with us um, and hopefully some MEPs as well. Yes, it can change. And uh, I think that what gives us the ground to understand if something can change or not is uh, to make a concrete assessment if it is in the interest of people or not. And this is clearly in the interest of the majority. And uh, unfortunately, there is no space, there is no room to listen to them as much as we have to listen to the fossil fuel companies. But I mean, if we really manage to make this a more democratic procedure in terms of decision-making, if we manage to listen to people, to energy communities, to those who are affected by energy poverty, and we are talking about millions of peoples across Europe, if we manage to make this more democratic, there's a huge room for change. Uh, and I, this is a process which will not depend only on the decision maker uh, making. It will it will depend a lot on social mobilization and the capacity to hear, to be heard to have a voice in this um, contentious moment where we are disputing all this with the, with the fossil fuel company. It's not easy. And it will never be, I think that none of the moments we needed deep and profound change were easy. But I think the majority exists. It's there. And so it's also our responsibility to find ways that this majority can translate into change. But it exists. And I think that's the ground to, to base our answer to this specific question. Of course it can change because the governments depend on citizens people tend to lose a little bit of hope because we're seeing so many movements of basically we, we are losing the rights. Yeah, uh, and that fear and, and the, the public debate and public space and political space is being reduced a lot. And, uh, you know, yeah, everything, it's, it's even more difficult. And with the war situation mm. became even more difficult. But what I mean, that the change uh, ground is there. Is yeah, there. it exists. And also, yeah, history told us that many bad things can happen, but it also told us that if, you, if we fight together, if we believe in something, we can actually make positive changes. So I think it's also a matter of um, keep believing in something, find the strength to believe in something. And as you said, the majority is there. Uh, yeah, and this is an option of future. Uh, contrary to the option, the current option that we have on the table, we are talking about future. And there are not um, so many grounds in politics where we're still keeping talking about future. And this is clearly a future agenda. So it's not just based on fear and micro micromanagement of the present. It's really something for the future and future generations. So uh, I think that uh, mm. all the, the ingredients are there. We need to make uh, even a big bigger effort and, and try to bring more and more and more people to this fight. Chloe, so coming back to the present, but with uh, actually uh, looking at the future, what the MEP of the last can do to support the fossil free politics campaign? I think one of the first thing is really to put that firewall between um, themselves as decision makers and the industry. That's one of our, our main asks. And that includes not sharing a stage with them. So the events, you know, these public sponsored events that are happening in Brussels that nobody in the real world knows about. Um, not attending these if a fossil fuel company 
is sponsoring or organizing or attending, that's a really good first step in order to keep that firewall between them. Um, and I think then it'd be great if, you know, the left um, could embark other MEPs from other groups in that journey towards fossil-free politics and perhaps even um, include in their, in their policy, in their manifesto, especially in the context of the upcoming 2024 elections that are right around the corner, um, something about a commitment to fossil-free politics. Because um, this would be really strong. It would send an extremely strong signal also to other political groups that this it's a, it's a serious conversation, you know, and it's a very difficult, I'm not going to lie, and you mentioned it, it's very difficult because in Brussels, especially this sort of this culture of pluralism, you know, we need to talk to everyone. We need to have everybody on board, even the people that we don't agree with. But the thing is, this industry is very specific, you know, it has repeatedly lied to decision makers. Um, it has hidden evidence. It has constantly weakened sabotage and delayed climate action. So it's really important for decision makers to, you know, recognize this influence and the fact that even when they think they're not being influenced, the industry is really pushing that narrative, that false narrative. And it's super obvious on gas. So if they were to put really these barriers between the industry and themselves, and then really do that work of showing that this is a serious conversation uh, and embark other MEPs from different groups, I think that would be, that would be fantastic. We already have that policy. <laughs> uh, we already have it. And, uh, and uh, not only by saying it, and I think as not it's not linked to this subject that we are discussing, but it's quite important that people see that not only we do it as we put it into practice. And just recently, as you know, our MEP Nikolai Vilmunsen won a, a prize uh, from the Parliament magazine and decided to refuse it because of the sponsors. And I think this is also the image uh, of what I'm saying, <laughs> just to yeah. give an example. Yeah. Because saying that we don't receive emails and we don't have meetings, meetings people either trust us or not, but they can trust. I mean, it's not happening. And of course, we need to go beyond our group uh, and uh, try to make, uh, to construct some bridges. And also because the political parties change and uh, the representatives change as well. And I think this is one of the commitments which will be crucial and central for the European elections in 2024, for sure, because it will be the core of politics. It's something that can unite the left and go beyond the left in the sense that, uh, as I said, represents a social majority. And uh, uh, we need to work on this and we'll keep working on this. Uh, uh, and I hope that uh, in the near future we'll have different majorities that, that can also represent more uh, this agenda, the agenda of uh, social majority instead of representing the agenda of the, the fossil fuel companies. So yeah, I think that with this hope and with these commitments, I think this is the right moment basically to, to thank you. To you, Chloe and Marisa, to Joseph who spoke earlier, to all the people who made this podcast possible, and especially thank you to you who listened to us. Hey, wait just a minute. You are about to leave without the most important piece of information. Our campaign needs you. So I'm going to ask you a favor. Share this podcast on all existing platforms and immediately type in act.left.eu there you will find the opportunity to join the fight for an energy system that works for people and the climate. Thank you very much.